Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Um, and I want to start by uh, thanking people who have uh, made donations uh, via purchase so far. Um, but a reminder that for the entire month of June, anything that you purchase at battleshipretention.com slash premium, 100% of those proceeds will be going to Communities United Against Police Brutality, cuapb.org. Um, and uh, yeah, I, um, just I don't want people to, to forget that. We're going we're gonna to be making right. uh, donations sort of in... in uh, what's what I'm looking for in chunks, I guess, across, across yeah. the, across the month. Uh, so you've got, uh, you've got all month to do it, but, uh, please do. Uh, and then I guess let's just get into some movies, right? Sounds good. Um, this is a movie show after all I've heard. Yeah. Uh, so I watched now Tyler, I've, <laughs> you've, I think you're doing this despite me because you've always disliked this about me. Sure. The fact that I never watch anything that people recommend. People say, like, I think you, I, I don't just think this movie is good. I think you, in particular, David Bax, a person that I know very well and have known for a long time, will like this movie. And my r- response is always like, yeah, sure. But I don't actually ever watch them. Yeah. So internally, you're saying, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> I'm not predictable. I'm my own man. You don't know me. I think it's more just like, hey, take a number. Like, I have so many yeah, movies oh, to watch. Absolutely. But. So I feel like you've been doing that to me um, uh, in recent years, but I'm not going to stop telling you when there's something that I think is super up your alley. That's and fine. I, you 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 definitely nailed it with uh, the Vast of Night. So ah, what else we got? Well, holy cow! I watched a movie uh, from 2018. Is its official release date? I think it actually got more of a theatrical release in 2019. It's an American film from a director named Robert D. Krakowski. And I've been meaning to watch it for a while because it has a title that really reaches out and grabs you. Uh, the name of the movie is The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've definitely... Uh, it has, it's on my radar. But also just the... Because it's, it's Sam Elliott, right? S- Sam Elliott is just one of the... Sam Elliott is in it. Uh, Caitlin Fitzgerald from uh, Masters of Sex. Uh, Rizwan Manji, who plays Ray on Schitt's Creek. Uh, isn't it? Uh, Larry Miller shows up. Ron Livingston oh. shows up. Eller, Co- Eller Coltrane from hey. uh, Boyhood. Um, Sean Bridgers in a challenging dual role uh, is in the movie. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I would like from the opening moments, like with a name, with, with a name like the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. I think I was kind of picturing something that was like an intentionally schlocky type of like throwback, like an affectation, like a hobo with a shotgun type of thing. Or maybe on a plane is uh, like the first place. Oh, okay. See, I was thinking more of like a, okay. To be more charitable compared to something like the love, Witch, which is like, not only is it a throwback to movies from the early seventies that actually feels like movies in the early seventies. And so I thought the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot was going to be something like that like the yeah. like we're 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 throwing back to some sort of like nebulous past yeah. of b movies but like 
from the beginning, which, which starts, uh, uh, it starts in a flashback. The, the movie mostly takes place in, I think, the late 70s, early 80s. It's not clear. Uh, but it starts in World War II leading up to this, uh, the, the promised assassination of Adolf Hitler. And immediately I was like, oh, shit, this is for real. Like, this is a, uh, there, there's a lot of, like, it's a, it, there's, a, there's a lot of skill to, like, visual skill. There's a, clearly a lot of attention paid to things like production design and uh and and costume design and, and and things like that um so that was the first thing that grabbed me what eventually grabbed me was despite and this is why this movie is for a very specific type of person it's for the type of person who is me and i think you who will be a drawn in by that title and then be not only not frustrated but delighted that the movie is not the type of movie the title uh, makes it seem like it's actually for as for as schlocky a title as that is this is actually a very mournful movie about regret and missed opportunity and wasted life and things like that it, uh it you do you know if if people have responded poorly to the film because it is not doing it tongue-in-cheek or anything like that uh i think i mean based just scrolling through some poll quotes on rotten tomatoes it seems like there are some people who who felt that way but then some people who felt the other way who like who 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 felt the movie is maybe just too uh uh I, I i don't know uh too much of an affectation to be like it, it can't get away from that but but uh the the so the 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 plot is that it it's the late 70s early 80s you've got this guy sam elliott he's an uh, he's an army vet and as we learn he was involved in this um um secretive plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler in the middle of World War II. I'll leave it to people to watch the movie to find out how that goes and how the movie lines up with our actual sort of real world uh, history. Um, and then uh, a, a very uh, a, a two agents, uh, an, an American intelligence agent played by Ron Livingston and a Canadian intelligence agent played by the aforementioned uh, Rizwan Manji, I can't remember how you say his name, but you've, you've seen enough Shit's Creek to know who Ray is. I think so. He's the guy who's like the real estate agent, but also the, like the town photographer and also oh, yes. like the event. Okay. He's the guy who does everything in town. Yeah. Um, so uh, they're, uh, they play two, yeah, Rizwan Manji, they play two um, intelligence agents who are never named. The credits identify them as Flag Pin and Maple Leaf. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and they come to recruit him because. Uh, the Bigfoot is it's weirdly tying into our current uh, pandemic times. Uh, Bigfoot exists. He's sick and he is sick with a disease that could kill all human life. And so they've got him sort of, uh, they've used fire to like surround him in this sort of 50 kilometer area of the Canadian wilderness. He's the Bigfoot has killed essentially every uh, like non like uh fauna in that like there are no living animals left in this uh in this thing and every other person well, the other two people they've signed they've sent in one failed and one didn't come back so uh uh sam elliott is their their last chance uh for reasons that again i won't i won't spoil there's more to it than that um but so that's the main plot but what is the sort of driving force is young uh, played by aiden um 
Aiden Turner, the young Sam Elliott character, uh, was in love with a young woman before he went off to World War II, and um, you, you know their relationship. Again, I don't want to spoil things, but it didn't uh, it it didn't last again after after he came back. And never it's and so this is the great regret of his life that he left for the war. Um, without sort of uh, locking it down <laughs> with uh, Caitlin Fitzgerald's character, um, uh, and it's 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 beautifully acted by 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 Sam Elliott um, and Larry Miller, who's playing the the, the unconventionally like serious Larry Miller role mm-hmm. um, as Sam Elliott's brother. Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to go too much into it, except to say that I was really stunned by the 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 visual um depth of the movie and by the depth of the performance and of the of the themes um one thing that i and this is something that it shouldn't surprise me but it almost always does like there there are so many actors that you get that i just get the impression are very serious because of the types of characters they play but then you discover that they are able to adapt mm-hmm. to whatever project they're in. And it sounds like Sam Elliott is bringing a lot of depth to this project oh, that, yeah. that could, that is just silly. I mean, the concept of it is silly as reflected by that title. Um, and I'm sure he knocks it out of the park as he always does. Like mm-hmm. I remember, you know, uh, I, I don't, by and large, I don't really like family guy, but at the same time, it's such a joke machine. That's just statistically some of them really land. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in the last, I forget when it was, it was the last few years that uh, Sam Elliott showed up as the narrator for the B story and they use him so well and they are playing into the Sam Elliott persona. And at one point, like the B story is over and he goes, well, that about wraps up the B story. (laughs) And then, so then we cut, so then we're, we're dealing with the A story and then he comes in and he goes, look at this. I came on over to the A story and it's, like, and it's hilarious. And he's just one of these actors that I feel like we, we sort of take for granted because he's just such a, he has such a specific look, such a specific sound, but sort of like a Christopher Walken, he can turn it to funny if he needs mm-hmm. to and, and almost self parody, or he can be a hundred percent sincere, even in a project that, that, one would not immediately associate with sincerity. And uh, yeah, I'm, I I was excited to see it. Uh, I had heard good things about it. It's on, um, it's, it's on, it's a number. It's on Hulu. I don't know if you have, it's free if you have Hulu. I mean, not free. I I do have Hulu. Yes. So yeah, it's, you can watch it uh, on Hulu. Uh, Next up is something. I will make it a priority. Uh, Okay, good. Um, Next up is something you could, that's going to sound appealing to you, but you could probably skip, unfortunately, Uh, coming out in virtual cinemas uh, this weekend and and rolling out next weekend is a new 2K restoration of the 1961 film, Mr. Topaz, also known as I Like Money, which is the only feature film that Peter Sellers ever directed, um, Mm. except, uh, except for, I guess there was a, uh, the movie where he was Fu Manchu. I can't remember the, the full sure. name of that movie, which apparently he did most of the directing of that movie, but he's not credited. So the only feature film he's credited with directing is 1961's Mr. Topaz, which is based on a play apparently uh, in uh, Peter Stellar, Peter Sellers stars as a French uh, school teacher named Mr. Topaz, who is so 
principled that he ends up getting fired from the school because he refuses to change the grade of a student whose parents are big donors. Um, and then from that, he gets uh, roped into being the sort of patsy uh, for this corrupt politician played by Herbert Lom, um, uh, who um, uh, basically has a side business that's really just a money laundering front and needs someone to run it, which basically means he needs someone to like take a big paycheck and sit in an office in Paris all day. Uh, and he uh, hires Mr. Topaz to do that. Mr. Topaz ends up figuring out what's going on and uh, using it to his own uh, uh, benefit. Uh, you've also got as uh, Mr. Topaz's best friend, fellow school teacher, uh, Michael Gao or go Gao, but uh, oh, yeah. Al- Alfred uh, from yeah. the, uh, the nineties, uh, well, late eighties, early and into the nineties, uh, Batman, mm-hmm. uh, films. And so what's, you've got Peter Sellers, Michael Gow and Herbert Lum just like chewing the scenery. And you'd think that'd be great, but Peter Sellers just seems like for a guy who is so funny, he seems determined not to make this a, a comedy. Yeah. It's like, and it has, it has like some very, like, I think very message forward sort of anti-capitalist stuff. Um, uh, it's probably no accident that Peter Sellers looks like Leon Trotsky <laughs> the entire <laughs> movie. Um, um, and, and it also has some like sad stuff, you know, as he gets sort of richer, he loses friends and stuff like that. But it's clear that this should be handled as a satire of the seduction of wealth instead of a tragedy about it. Right. And so the movie ends up for the most part, just laying flat uh it's it's pr- it probably doesn't help uh, you know i'm all for preservation and restoration and apparently there was uh the original camera negative didn't exist most you know, any sort of archival print didn't exist they had like one theatrical release print left um and uh the restoration i guess they did what they could but the color is very faded um so that helps or that adds i think to the feeling of this movie just being sort of like blah and flat the entire time um but uh, it's uh, it's really too, it's really too bad the movie's not that great because I was very excited uh, when I when I heard about it. Um, the the title I like I like money comes from uh, there's one like musical number in the movie. Not you know it's they're at a nightclub. It's a you know it's diegetic or whatever. But there's one musical performance and it's called I Like Money and it's the best part of the movie. So I guess I understand why they named it after that when they released it in the U.S. But uh, if you're looking for it on virtual cinemas uh, over the next couple of weeks, it'll be Mr. Topaz. All right. So uh, I I have no idea how I arrived at the movies that I watched this week. Um, just there's something kind of arbitrary about it, but I, I kind of enjoy that sometimes. So I watched. Andrew Bergman's The Freshman from 1990, starring Matthew Broderick and Marlon Brando. Yeah, I've never uh, seen that. Uh, I didn't love it. There, It has a lot going for it, and it's effective in a lot of ways. The thing that it... I hate to put it this way, but the, the primary uh, hook is that Marlon Brando is playing a Vito Corleone type character he's he's got the mustache he's doing the voice slick back hair and the character is essentially like a mafioso uh but this is in a world where the godfather exists as a movie and our main character matthew broderick is a film student in new york and when he and broderick i think by the way does great he just he he's really good at being this kind of this 
this bright eyed, bushy tailed kind of thing who is naive enough to like blurt things out. And so, uh, there's a moment like when he first sees Brando, uh, he's, uh, being introduced to him by the uh, late great uh, Bruno Kirby, who is a delight in the film, mm. and he's he goes, "Wow, he looks a lot like." And he just immediately just jumps right into the Godfather, and Bruno Kirby's like, "Oh no 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 no!" Like he's he's like, "Play this down. We don't we don't make that comparison." Um, and I like that that Brando is not doing like a riff on the character; he's playing him sincerely, and I think that helps a lot. But overall, just the structure of the film uh, and the tone of the film. It's it's that it's a very specific type of madcap '80s comedy that rarely appeals to me as much as maybe it would other people. Uh, it has funny moments, of course, but usually for me, the funny moments are the smaller moments as opposed to the overtly zany moments. There's there's this wonderful bit that's almost completely silent in which Matthew Broderick has is sitting across the table from Marlon Brando. Brando orders him like it, just a tiny little cup of like Italian coffee. And he's like, he goes, he goes, do you want some sugar? And he says, sure. And Brando proceeds to dump five or six spoons of sugar into this tiny <laughs> cup and does it again, totally straight faced. Like this just makes perfect sense like that sugar is literally going to just absorb that whole cup and like, okay, now we're talking. I love stuff like that. Um, and there are a few other examples, but listen, I mean, look at this cast, Marlon Brando, Matthew Broderick, Bruno Kirby, Penelope Ann Miller, Frank Whaley, John Polito, uh, Maximilian Schell, Paul Benedict, BD Wong, like great cast and, and a perfectly fine premise, mm -hmm. but one that I think in the end is just, is just fine. I think the, the thing that people, cause it was a very, it was a fairly well-reviewed movie at the time. And I think honestly, people just couldn't get over the fact that Marlon Brando was doing this. Uh, and they were so invigorated by that. But when it comes right down to it, like that's kind of the, the film's only novelty. Um, I, I still enjoyed parts of it tremendously, but, uh, but uh, I, I did not love it. Did you, I've never seen it. It's, this is one of those movies like from that era, uh, like raising Cain that I mostly remember from just seeing TV, like TV sure. spots for it. Um, but your description of it makes me remember. Did you ever see the last shot? With no, the, I, di I didn't. I remember. Feel, uh, I, I forget uh, if you liked that or not. Eh, it's I remember okay. the trailer it's, made me laugh. It's hit or miss, but, um, it sounds almost like Matthew Broderick could be playing the same character in both movies. Uh, oh man! I, I looked up the names; are different, but okay. it does like he's like a wannabe filmmaker uh, who's also this like very gullible and guileless uh, uh, dude. Um, yeah. And Alec Baldwin plays a. I don't know if you remember that he's like an FBI agent who basically right. the FBI funds a film basically as a sting operation to catch a mobster and Matthew Broderick is the director who doesn't realize that he's not really making a movie. Um, that's a good premise. Uh, yeah. And John Polito's in that one too. Yeah. Anyway. That makes sense. Uh, all right. So going back to my wife's ongoing film festival of movies, she liked as a, as a kid that I've never seen, she picked a movie from when she's, a, she was a teenager, like 12 or 13, at least uh, she picked 1995's, uh, directed by um, uh, Biban Kidron to Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie oh. Newmar. 
Have you seen this? No, I have not. Uh, I, I've heard good things, but I think I also, this sounds so mean, but like it gets lumped in with Priscilla queen of the desert. Cause they came out at kind of similar times and, I, and had like a three, uh, like a three person primary cast. And so uh, I don't remember which one, if they're both supposed to be good or one supposed to be better than the other, but yeah, I, I have not seen well, Tuong Fu. Let me, cause I've seen them both. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know if they're so close together and released. They're a year apart. Yeah. I don't know that the success of Priscilla, the relative success of Priscilla played a part in getting to Wang Fu made. I don't know right. if that's the, the case or not, but um, they're both okay movies. Um, to Wang Fu is, it's weird to watch now given just society's generally increased awareness and understanding and uh uh what's what i'm looking for um fluency with uh trans people and with drag culture yeah and the the movie doesn't distinguish between them like it it positions Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes, and John Leguizamo as drag queens. They refer to themselves as drag queens. They refer to themselves as, or Wesley Snipes refers to them as gay men. Okay. But the premise is that they're on a cross country. They're going to compete in a drag contest in Los Angeles. They're from New York. They're going to drive across the country. Um, but the weird thing, and the thing that we never questions is that they are always in drag, which is not actually that's that's not actually how drag queens live seems like, very impractical and it's also people like women who are trans don't dress like drag queens right. do you know what i mean uh, i mean some of them maybe do but like that's not like not every trans woman isn't putting on like you know huge like sequined uh right. headdresses and shit like so the movie doesn't seem to, to care or make a different differentiation between these different types of, of, of cultures. So that's weird. It's okay. And I never quite get over it. Um, the movie also like, can't seem to figure out how seriously to take the notion that as either as either as gay men, trans women or drag queens, whatever they're supposed to be, the movie's not clear, but it acknowledges that, they are at a heightened risk of violence, uh, um, but doesn't seem to know when to take it seriously or not. And that's, uh, it, it, again, it's weird. The movie's weird, but it has some great moments that remind me, weirdly, like, this is obviously going backwards, but it reminded me of Shit's Creek, to bring it up again. The idea of, like, because what ends up happening, it, it ends up not being, it starts as a road trip movie, but really they end up breaking down in a small town that the movie, um, I think, wisely, but also kind of uh, uh, glaringly, it, like, has this plot where they're lost. So, by the time they get to this small town, we have no idea not only what state they're in, but what part of the country they're in. So I think that's the movie intentionally trying not to be like, oh, they're in a small southern town. They're in a small, like, whatever. It's not trying to traffic in those kind of stereotypes. And I think that's wise, even though it's 
uh, uh, in tips of ten and how it gets there. But anyway, uh, they end up in, so most of the movie uh, takes place in this small town. And I will admit that. So the opening sequences in New York with the drag light contest and Robin Williams in an uncredited cameo as a character whose name is John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. That stuff's great. <laughs> the initial like road trip sequences are not great at all. I found myself getting bored. Once they get to the town, things are again, still a little uh, wonky, but it picks up there because it reminds me of Shit's Creek where you've got this small town, like, Oh, these are a bunch of fucking rubes, you know? Uh, and then, um, over the course of the movie, you see them as just like really nice people with their own personalities and the sort of the outgoingness of the drag queens sort of brings a lot of these people out of their shells and they're suddenly, you know, not suddenly, but gradually the movie, the town becomes more colorful in its decorations, the way people dance uh, or dress uh, becomes more colorful. They dance, they express themselves. Uh, it's a, It's a nice story about like just the uh the 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 sort of drag queen ethos um uh bringing um uh people who are otherwise sort of sheltered out of their out of their shells which i guess is kind of like this it's not that different from what's the new hbo show it's called like we're here or something it's essentially like queer eye for the straight guy except it's like drag eye for the <laughs> small town or whatever um okay uh it's weird it's essentially that show 25 uh years ago um but still uh i can't recommend it over overall uh it's got its its high points and its low points but one of its high points is a great cast um patrick swayze is the lead i guess and he's and and, and he's great wesley snipes is great uh john Leguizamo is um, of the three of them, shockingly the most convincing as a drag queen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you've also got Stockard Channing and Blythe Danner, uh, Arliss Howard, uh, Chris Penn, um, uh, who plays like, this is what I'm talking The Chris Penn character is the one who's the most like violently homophobic and clearly like wants to hurt these people because of who they are. You but mean also to tell me that Chris Penn is cast as a guy whose feelings are all pent up and he has the potential for violence. That's not the Chris Penn that I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, speaking of pent up, actually some of this like funniest stuff comes from the, like the movie being like, Oh, obviously it's because he's closeted. <laughs> like, right. but the way the movie gets to that is actually uh, like, again, I can't like, put uh, my finger on where the movie should be, ta- how the movie should be taking this stuff seriously. Because I like, I like that. I hate that part of his violence is treated as a joke, but I love that the revelation is treated as obvious to everyone, but him and not like, uh, not like an after school special or like made for TV movie type of, uh, uh, moment. Um, who else did I mention? Jason London is in the movie. Um, Beth Grant, uh, Alice Drummond, um oh yeah yeah uh who actually uh and and she plays a uh um uh classic movie buff so she and uh she and wesley snipes have conversations about lena horn and stuff like that that are like (laughs) uh, i turned to my wife i was like this is my favorite part of the movie just like (laughs) like uh, an extended listing of the credits of black actresses from the 1940s is fantastic um yeah, uh, RuPaul's in it. Julia Newmar shows up as herself. Uh, Michael Varton from uh, Alias. 
uh yeah not uh not great but not awful um i don't know if it seems like your type of movie it probably will be if it seems like it's not it probably won't be all right and i have one more yeah uh which i've been saving for last both uh it worked out chronologically but also because i wanted to spring it on you the last movie i watched is tyler smith's real redemption oh hey look at that i Uh, I was not expecting that and uh now i'm terrified oh no i i uh I, I thought it was it was terrifically watchable. I I thought that as far as your uh, how it gets to what your thesis is and how well you make that thesis is really uh, fantastic and really like uh, by like I'm not the target audience for the movie, so I think in the first like ten fifteen minutes I was like, wow, Tyler's covering a lot of film history sort of you know on a surface way that i already know yeah really quickly and i realized like okay because this movie's aimed more at people who are coming from the christian side and not the film side and maybe don't and we already uh know this stuff but by the time you get to the real thesis which is that christian cinema as it exists now is a genre unto itself mm-hmm. there are very specific things that have happened over the course of American political history and also American film history that have led to that. And then you make the case of here's what, here's what a genre is and here's why it's a genre um, was really well argued. Um, the movie is like, you know, we talked uh, on, we talked on the Patreon, I guess on an episode that hasn't posted yet. Uh, we yeah. mentioned uh, Los Angeles plays itself and it has, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's as good as Los Angeles plays itself, <laughs> but it has that watchability of just being like, am I going to, re- what clip, what clip's going to come next? Am I going to recognize it? Do I know this movie? Yeah, uh, yeah. Do I not know this movie? Do I need, I've never seen Elmer Gantry. Do I need to see Elmer Gantry? Um, yeah, it's a, uh, I, I found it super wa- watchful, super well argued. Um, there are, like I said, there are some things because I'm not the target audience that, I sort of had to like roll with on the one hand, but also some things that I would have rather that I think you're making assumptions. There's a, there's a part um, uh, where you're talking about trying to figure out where, um, uh, Oh yeah. We are, you're talking, you're talking about um, Christian American Christians uh, feeling, I'm not sure what the word you used is, but, uh, uh, just feeling the effects of the, uh, or feeling like they're living in an increasingly secularized society under the Obama administration. And I kind of wish that you had gone more into that because where I'm coming from, president Obama is not just the 44th president. He's the 44th Christian president. And we still sure. live in a, we still live in a nation where, uh, uh, most people in power identify as, as Christian. So I don't really see that. So that, that argument that probably makes sense to the Christian audience, probably um, uh, I, I would have liked to have seen some more uh, I- examples. I also would have liked to have seen, because you talked about the um, black Christian movie going audience in the Tyler Perry thing. Mm-hmm. And I would have liked to have seen, does that audience also feel that way about the Obama administration and how have these, as these movies have become a genre of onto their own like we see clips from war room that's clearly a like majority black cast but is the christian audience that's making this genre a successful one are they 
mostly white or uh, like uh, how does the the black i don't need you to answer all this stuff right now i'm yeah, just yeah. saying like those are some things that i felt uh uh towards the end of the movie i was like i wish because the movie's super short i was like uh i wish there had been another five to ten minutes uh, yeah. uh, uh on that like is there a is there a cultural divide between white christians and black christians when it comes to the cinema uh yeah it's yeah we i don't have time to to get into it but yes no i i agree with you like when i was making it i did have this thought it's like man film people are going to be so bored by this especially the first half i'm not telling them anything that they don't know but it's also filled with many clips times from great movies yeah. yeah that's kind of it's like well if i just cling to this maybe it'll be okay um but uh yeah and and a lot of the second half is is taken from the the essay that i wrote uh for ucla which goes into a lot more detail and part of me part of me would be like oh i would love like you said i would love 15 more minutes of this to like really delve into it but i also had to recognize that like that's you and me and that's not while this was meant to be friendly and and trying to be inclusive of like non-christians and movie people i also recognize that like the primary people I'm going for are such that, and I don't say this in any kind of judgmental way, but these are people for whom this is like the first time they're hearing a lot of this. And so, mm-hmm. and what's more is the way I made the film, because it's it split up into sections. And so I would mm-hmm. edit sections, you know, one at a time. Then I put them all together and I watch them like, holy shit, this is constant information <laughs> going really fast. I'm like, this is exhausting to me yeah i guess uh, yeah in the um uh there is part in the first again just like 15 minutes or so where uh because you open with a, a very funny clip from hail caesar yeah and i can remember it's like there's like a uh uh probably like a 15 minute run it feels like where you're seeing clips but there's no scene there's no audio until you get to like is it night of the hunter is that the first or on the waterfront it's no night of the hunter is before on the waterfront so yeah you go from that opening very funny sequence to like basically a 15 minute uh lecture with great uh uh, visual accompaniment uh and so there was a time where i was like i need a breather (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, it's yeah that's something because it's it's silent film and so i didn't necessarily want to like feature just that with, with no audio, even though I could have, and it wouldn't have bothered me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I'm, 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 thank you for, for watching it and thank you for being so nice about it. I appreciate it. Um, I really enjoyed making it. And, uh, but at the same time I watch it now and I only see what is not there and what I could have done better. Well, seriously, I, 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 it has the, the, the subtitle of the movie, the rise of Christian cinema is not, uh, meaningless. That really is what it's about. That it, mm-hmm. it, it basically like I, I, I didn't expect really to go into it, uh, coming out with not only new information, mm-hmm. which I, that's what I did expect, but like a new perspective. I feel like it, your movie probably didn't make me any more likely to like a lot of these movies, but it makes me more interested in wanting, in wanting to watch them. Um, yeah. It's, you won't uh, like them. I don't like them. Um, well, uh, <laughs> you know, and that's oh, something I know we have to, we, you have another movie to get to and, and then we have a hard out, but, um, uh, seeing clips from the Christian movies was kind of the most revelatory 
part to me because I'd seen the case for Christ. Uh, I think I feel like that's the only. And I've seen Diary of a Mad Black Woman. I'm trying to think what else that you had clips from. I've actually seen not much as far as the Christian watched, films. Go. I think I watched Time Changer with you. When oh, that's we right. Lived yes, together. that's right. I have seen Time Changer. But, yeah. Um, but uh, um, uh, I didn't realize I, the God's Not Dead movies seem so extra <laughs> like, I was, oh, well, like as you, i was as like you oh know, my god I, this is ridiculous i i cited the first god's not dead as the worst film of the 2010s like oh. i i dislike it so so much but from what i actually hear by the time we got to the third one the the writers started shifting quite a bit uh in their tone so uh not okay. that it's necessarily good but that it definitely is is a little bit more fair to uh non-christian characters but um anyway. the one that intrigued me a little more even though some of the acting on screen didn't look look like it would probably get on my nerves but i was intrigued by blue like jazz which i hadn't even heard of um because again there's i don't know there's the part of me that wants to push back against like i feel like uh, Christians have had, or, or at least like the Christian morality has had too much influence. Um, but there's a part of me who wants to open up and be like, let's, I, I want to actually see this point of view. Cause there's a monologue you, uh, um, from blue, like jazz in which the character says something along the lines of, I come from this subculture where we believe blah, blah, blah. And again, there's me going subculture, like yeah. you're the culture, but I need to like, uh, I think if I'm going to treat this as a genre, the way that you talked about and the way you compared it to slasher films, I need to have more of an anthropological sort of like uh, uh, open mind to yeah. seeing uh, not how I disagree with how the Christian, how American Christians see themselves, but like to actually take in how they see themselves. Yeah. It's uh well, that's, that's, I, I'm glad that, uh, that the film struck you on on several levels it is available at uh, faithlifetv.com everybody um okay yeah, so and, I, uh, the way that faith i know you've said this before you can sign up for a free trial right. um and watch it and then cancel your trial actually i learned the way that faith life tv works is that you can sign up for a free trial cancel your free trial and still get the two weeks <laughs> yeah no that's no that's yeah you i'm saying it. like uh, but i'm saying like no what i'm saying is you don't have to watch it first. Like you could literally sign up and then an hour later say, I don't want this anymore. And you'll still have access. Oh, sure. Yeah. So yeah. you could still watch, uh, the watch it for two weeks. And then you can watch my nine part series, faith and filmmaking, which admittedly I don't stand by as much anyway. Uh, okay. So my film and I, I don't have a great deal of time, so I'll just kind of rush through it. Sorry. I took uh, so long on that. That's it's fine. It still benefits me. Um, <laughs> So uh, I watched The Old Dark House from 1932, directed by James Whale, starring, among others, Boris Karloff, Melvin Douglas, Charles Lawton, Raymond Massey, Ernest Thesiger, Gloria Stewart. Great cast. Yeah. Uh, The film is not great. It's not bad. And it has moments of greatness and moments of just complete whaleness if that makes sense um it's not you're not quite to the bride of frankenstein level of tongue-in-cheek camp but you're getting there uh the just the way some characters are delightfully just cranky is is funny but it also has moments of genuine creepiness uh karloff both with the makeup and the performance he plays a character like, I mean, when I think of, of Karloff, obviously I think of Frankenstein's monster. And I think of a very sympathetic character. Whereas here, 
he is genuinely just like a, a, a menacing presence and he is a little bit scary. But then there's a character played by uh, a guy who didn't act in film very much. He was mostly a stage guy. And his name, the actor's name is Brember Wills, which just feels like the most, I feel like James Wells like, okay, so who has a good name? Uh, but he plays a character who shows up late in the film, which structurally is an issue, but he shows up late in the film and it is a wonderful performance. You have no idea what this guy is going to throw at you. He immediately makes you uneasy in a way that's like, oh, I wasn't ready for this. Like this being a chamber piece, it feels like a play. It's very theatrical in that regard. I know what to expect. This guy shows up and immediately it's like, oh, all bets are off. I have no idea what this guy's going to do. So, uh, so if, if you're a James Whale completist, which admittedly I'm not, but I'm, I think I want to be, um, this really sticks out because this is the film he made after Frankenstein, but before the invisible man. And you can really see it as a transition into first off being allowed to do whatever he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just really using the opportunity to become more himself and uh it's so in that regard it's it's actually pretty fun i i think i would recommend it there are moments where it really drags and moments where it's just like wait this character just met this other character and now they're getting married what it's it's stuff like that but by and large um it's it's a film that i would that i would recommend